This is the Art of Composing podcast with John Branningham, episode number five, The Pathway to Mastery, part two, The Ideal Composer Apprenticeship. Welcome to the Art of Composing podcast with me, John Brantingham, where you can learn to compose music. Well, welcome back to the Art of Composing podcast, where you can learn the ins and outs of what it takes to become a composer. Think of this as composer therapy, except I do the talking, so I guess it's kind of like therapy for me and you guys are the therapist. Well, I don't know. Either way, you should probably learn something here. Now, in today's episode, I'm moving further along the path of mastery and talking about the ideal apprenticeship. What does it look like? How long should it take? And how do you know when you're done with it? Well, I think if you're like me, you like to have structure and guidance in your life. And that's exactly what this episode is about. First, I'll talk about the three phases of the ideal apprenticeship. Deep observation, skill acquisition, and experimentation. After that, we'll look at the eight strategies for getting the most out of your apprenticeship. So without further ado, let's get on to the featured content. So you've decided that you want to devote your life to becoming a composer. You've looked back and connected the dots. It's all there. Going to bed listening to obscure neoclassical music, the strange behavior of transcribing music in your room that your parents just don't understand, the desire to know how and why music works and the need to create your own. But now that you've identified it, you need a framework for progressing towards your goal. And you should have a goal eventually. See, the problem is at early stages of mastering a subject, you sometimes don't have enough knowledge of a subject to understand where you should be knowledge-wise in a year, or let alone 10 years from now. This is where apprenticeship comes in. So what is an apprenticeship? Well, the traditional system of apprenticeship came about in the Middle Ages. Business began to increase all over the world and all over Europe in particular, and craftsmen needed a way to keep people long enough to learn the intricacies of the art of their trade. For most people, they would agree to work for the master for a period of around seven years or so, basically doing whatever the master needed. The master would slowly show them the tools and processes of the trade, and more importantly, they would show them their own trade secrets. After the apprenticeship was over, the apprentice would then be called a journeyman and would be allowed to travel and find work. Now, this is still the same terminology that modern apprentice programs use, like uh, in construction. Nowadays, though, most people don't have that kind of opportunity, so you have to do something different. You have to go on a self-directed apprenticeship. In fact, most masters through all of time have gone through a period of both a self-directed apprenticeship and direct apprenticeship under a master. Chances are, too, that you will, at least for part of your apprenticeship, be under the watchful eye of no one but yourself. You are in a self-directed apprenticeship, actually, right now. Now, this doesn't mean no one is helping you. What it does mean is that you are the only one responsible for what you learn, composing or anything else. Now, there are three phases of the apprenticeship, and we will cover each one separately and look at what it will take to get the most out of your apprenticeship, whether self-directed or under a master. But first, let me give you uh, the overarching goal for an apprenticeship. The goal of an apprenticeship is not money, not a good position, a title, or a diploma, 
but rather the transformation of your mind and character. So let me say that again. The goal of an apprenticeship is not money, a good position, a title, or a diploma, but rather the transformation of your mind and character. Everyone wants some of those things. You know, money is nice, a good position makes you feel important, a title or a diploma. I mean, who doesn't like to hang stuff up on the wall or get a shiny new nameplate? But transformation of your mind and character, well, you do that, and it doesn't matter where you go, you'll be better off. You'll be looking at the world in a different way than others, not through a conventional mind, but a dimensional mind, one that sees the hidden details only apparent through years of study. So let's look at the three phases and how they apply to composing. The three phases are deep observation, or the passive mode, skills acquisition, or the practice mode, and experimentation, or the active mode. First, deep observation, or the passive mode. When you first begin learning a subject, you should be coming to the subject as a blank slate. But the fact is, you are not. You have experience. In fact, an entire lifetime of experience, whether that lifetime is 10 years or 50 years. But that experience usually sets the tone for how you go about learning a subject. Now, for some, the most natural thing to do is to experiment first and ask questions later. You see something you like, and then you try copying it yourself. For others, books are your best friend. The thing that you need uh, to come to grip with, though, is that you are not a master of the field by any means. So for all people wanting to achieve mastery, you need to begin a period of deep observation. Now, the goal of this period is to observe and absorb the culture and world that you are entering and not to change it. I have talked about having a beginner's mind before, and this is the perfect time for it. Entering a new field, you need to drop any preconceived notions about what it means to succeed in that field. You're not there to get attention, and in fact, attention at this stage can actually be a bad thing because it's deceptive. You'll begin to think that you are better than you really are. And if you try to impress people or prove yourself, you'll end up obsessing over just that and bypass the greatest period of potential growth in your entire uh, path towards mastery. So what does deep observation look like for a composer? Well, there are a few tasks that I highly recommend anyone do. First is listen. Just listen deeply and attentively. Listen to as much music as possible because you are trying to absorb everything you can in the vast world of music. Don't shrug off music because you think it's simple. This was a problem of mine growing up. I, I probably, as many composers do, had a very specific taste in music. Now, to be honest, the first cassette tape I ever bought was Green was a Green Day album, but that was really before I started learning music. And not that there's anything wrong with Green Day, I just wanted to go out there and put that on record that the first album I bought wasn't Mahler's Symphony No. 1, that was actually the third, but it was Green Day. So once I started learning about music, though, I quickly moved on to listening to almost purely classical and jazz music. Now, I found this music to be so much deeper to listen to. There's always something, you know, exciting to glean from the CD. Now, the first CD I, I ever bought, and this was not the cassette tape, but this was the first CD I ever bought, was actually Chopin's Nocturnes. And then the second one was uh, Mahler's First Symphony, both of which I still have today and I listen to on a regular basis. And I'm sad to say I don't know where my uh, Dookie cassette is from Green Day. So either way. But this led me to closing out a lot of other music. 
and it also led to a feeling of superiority. I felt like I knew more, or I possibly experienced more than my friends, and even occasionally than my teachers. I wish I could go back in time and talk to myself, and I would let myself know that I just need to relax and realize at this point, no one really cares what I think. Um, you know, my only goal really should have been to just listen and try to absorb as much of that music as possible. Now, the best way to observe music is through two activities transcribing by ear and copying scores. Transcribing by ear is probably number one on the list because it taxes all of the required faculties for composing. You have to be able to listen attentively, think critically about what you're listening to, mentally compose that in your mind, check pitches against other instruments, decide on timbres and timing, and then accurately copy that to music. That's quite a bit of work. Copying scores, on the other hand, you're able to see things that eluded you during that transcription activity, and both activities work hand in hand. Now, beyond transcribing and copying, if you can find an older, more experienced composer, offer to help them out with things. For this, though, I recommend looking for a professional composer that's actually a compose who's actually working or composing for a living. If it if it's someone that's just composing on the side they will probably be less open to accepting someone into their lives because their life doesn't really revolve around composition. But a professional composer will need professional help, and you can offer that, whether it's just cleaning up their office or organizing their music or even just making coffee. But being around them offers you the opportunity to observe not just how they compose, but also how they think. Now, when you are observing... Both people and music, you should begin to analyze as much as possible what's going on. Is this person being efficient with their time? What kinds of things do they do that stands out as strange or unusual? How do, you, how do they accomplish their goals? And what kinds of mannerisms do they have, especially around other people within the field? For music, how is it unfolding? How are the ideas being developed? And what kinds of textures and melodies and harmonies are being used and why? There's so many questions that you can ask. The key is just asking them and then recording your thoughts, writing them down, or even recording them into your voice recorder on your phone. Now, after deep observation, the next phase is skills acquisition, or the practice mode. Learning to compose seems like this gargantuan blob of random things that you need to know and understand before you can do it well. Now, this can be scary for anyone to learn. But in reality, you need to separate as many small skills as possible so you can distill them into what is called tacit knowledge, or a feeling for what you are doing that's kind of hard to put into words, but easy to demonstrate in action. The typical list of skills is things like harmony and melody, counterpoint, orchestration, transcription, but those in themselves seem to be gargantuan blobs of knowledge. You know, you have to go a little bit deeper, and then you'll start to see where the real path is. So let's take, for instance, counterpoint. If you worry about creating a mass or a fugue from the beginning, you're probably going to get nowhere. But through the ages, teachers have been teaching what is called species counterpoint, first starting off in two-part first species. And this is about as simple as it gets, as you learn to write one note over one note or below one note, which is called note against note. But given a whole line of notes or a cantus firmus, this too can be pretty daunting, so it helps to break this down even further. You could, for instance, write out all of the correct notes for just one note. Like, for instance, if you're, if you're just in first species counterpoint and you've got the note C, 
you know, you've only got a few notes that can go against that note that are within the boundaries. It could be an E or it could be a G. It could be another C on top. Um, not a whole lot of choice. It could be an A. Uh, what you need to do is try writing those out. And then next, maybe you put two notes side by side and you write all the notes that go above and, up, above and below those and you try to do all the correct connections. So the correct kind of leaps. This reduces the amount of mental anguish you will feel trying to complete the exercise and moving on to the entire line. Now, if this, do, if this doesn't make sense, don't worry. Counterpoint is kind of a tricky subject, and I don't expect you to learn anything meaningful from this little talk about it in the podcast. The point is, you can almost always split something up into a smaller, easier-to-master chunk. And once it's mastered, it becomes tacit knowledge. Once you have enough tacit knowledge on a subject, you start to become fluent in it. And just like in a language, when you are fluent, you understand more and you can learn more. You get into a cycle of accelerated returns. A new world is opened up to you. Now this is where the 10,000 hour rule comes into play again. It's in this stage that you will spend most of the 10,000 hours that are required to truly master a discipline. So use those 10,000 hours wisely, and it will pay off. After acquiring enough skills, you enter into the third phase, which is the experimentation or the active mode. Now, the experimentation phase is all about exposing your weaknesses and gaps of knowledge so that you can systematically fill them in. As a composer, you should have already mastered the basics of the things previously mentioned, like harmony and melody, counterpoint, and so on. Here, you test yourself. Do you really understand? Are you able to make new connections with the knowledge you have? You are pressing against the boundaries of your mind, attempting to make new connections and new pathways to greater understanding. Most people wait too long to move into this phase. They are worried about what others will think or worried about being criticized. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to take criticism. Don't Just don't get trapped in the original snares of trying to get attention or impress people. It's it's what you're doing it for. It's your motivation that really matters here. You create something unique not to impress people, but to explore your own knowledge and improve it. Now, as Robert Greene points out in the book, some people will think that an apprenticeship is archaic or quaint, you know, something that worked 500 years ago but isn't applicable to, you know, today. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, with the advent of computers and incredible sample libraries, very capable sequencers, and instant communication, composing is more difficult and complicated than ever. Think of a film composer 50 years ago and a film composer now. In the worst-case scenario, a film composer 50 years ago had to compose and orchestrate, write out the parts for the orchestra, and conduct. If you were lucky enough to work at a studio, many film composers simply had to compose and then they would hand off their sketch to an orchestrator who would orchestrate it and then that would be handed off to a copyist who would prepare the scores and then to a conductor who would conduct for the recording engineer and then uh, they would record it. So now though, a film composer, especially one early in their career, has to compose and orchestrate usually on their own, create a very realistic mock-up, constantly change things based off of the director and the producer's inputs, create all the parts, hire an orchestra, conduct that orchestra, arrange the recording studio and find a good engineer, and in some cases mix and master their own recordings, and then deliver that to the, uh, to the filmmakers. Now in many, case, or in many of these, 
there's an enormous body of knowledge that is required that is separate from composing. Heck, you may compose by hand and then have to use a digital audio workstation like Digital Performer to create the mock-up, then notation software like Sibelius to create the scores and parts, and then Pro Tools to mix and master it. And those are all very complicated pieces of software that take a long time to master. So with all this complexity, the process of apprenticeship allows your mind to handle larger and larger amounts of complexity with poise. You'll either be ready for it over or overwhelmed. I'm not trying to scare anybody away from composing. Obviously, if you wanted to, you can just compose you know, by hand on paper in front of your piano and kind of leave it at that. But if you're going on this path towards mastery, you're going to encounter some of these things along the way, and I just want you to be mentally prepared for them. So let me now give you the eight strategies for getting the most out of your apprenticeship. Strategy one, you must value learning over money. Don't go for the job that pays the most in money. Go for the job that pays the most in experience. Here's a good rule of thumb. If you are looking at two possible positions, which one scares you the most? That's probably the one that you need to take. Now, when I joined the Army, I had heard some people say, never volunteer for anything. And this made sense as a lot of times your first sergeant would come to a formation and say, I need a volunteer. And first sergeant wouldn't explain what it was for, but chances are it sucked. But while I was in, I met somebody who was a ranger. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Army Rangers, but these guys are pretty tough and usually very experienced. And what he told me was, volunteer for everything. Now, when I thought about it, I, I started to understand what he was getting at. He wasn't looking to just get by and earn some money. He was looking for real experience and development. He wasn't there for the money. He was there to transform his mind, just as you should be. Strategy number two, keep expanding your horizons. Nothing will ever be handed to you on a silver platter that is actually worthwhile. You can only achieve mastery through hard work and determination. Be prepared to go it alone and never rest on your laurels. There's always something more that you can learn and something new that you can experience. And experience is king. Strategy number three, revert to a feeling of inferiority. Now, this is a major problem for people in the arts because over the last century, there has really been a move away from tradi traditional craftsmanship to the more touchy-feely, inspirational art, you know, I do what I, I feel like, and these are my emotions, you know, all on the page. And it's not really backed up by a lot of skill and knowledge and technique. You are not a master yet, and you need to go into any situation with the understanding that the person you are trying to learn from actually knows more than you do. Don't fight it. Now, this was another problem of mine growing up where I believe that what I thought about a subject, especially music, was the only truth and that everyone else was just naive. Well, that defeats the purpose of the apprenticeship, so don't do it. It took me a long time to learn that lesson, you know, as I was growing up as a teenager, and it did, did cause some struggle and some friction with some relationships that I had. So strategy number four, trust the process. You need to relax because this is this has been and will continue to be the only way to true mastery. Until there really is a smart drug that is created like the one Bradley Cooper takes in the movie Limitless, years of hard work is in order. But it will work, and you have to trust that. You have to watch out, though, for your emotions. Panic, fear, boredom, 
procrastination, a lack of focus, these will all derail you and get you walking down the wrong path. So stay the course and trust the process. Strategy number five, move towards resistance and pain. Just like I said in strategy one, if you have two potential jobs, pick the one that you are most afraid of, not the one with the best paycheck, because mental struggling is actually a sign of growth. Strategy six, apprentice yourself in failure. Composing in the early stages is always a mixed bag. The key is not to get overwhelmed and frustrated when you fail. Use it as a lesson. Everything you compose is just practice. And when you practice something and it doesn't work, well, then it doesn't really matter. It just means that you need more practice. It's not a reflection of who you are. You are not your compositions. Strategy number seven, combine the how and the what. Don't be satisfied with the surface details. Be prepared to get your hands dirty and really delve deeply into the mechanics of music. This is where things like transcription and copying serve you the best. Just like with books, some scores should be tasted, some devoured, but only a few should be chewed and digested thoroughly. Pick your scores to be chewed and digested carefully, and then delve deeper into how they work. Strategy 8. Advance through trial and error. I'll say again, and a hundred times more, experience is king. You can read all you want, listen to advice, and think about it till the cows come home. Until you actually experiment and compose, you won't truly learn anything. Now just remember, there is no shortcut to mastery. Everyone since the dawn of time that has ever truly mastered a subject has gone through this stage. Keep your head down and stay focused, and before you know it, you will start to see and feel the transformation of your mind. So let's sum up the takeaways from this episode. The goal of an apprenticeship is not money, a good position, a title, or a diploma, but rather the transformation of your mind and character. There are three phases or three modes to the ideal apprenticeship. They are deep observation or the passive mode, where you observe and absorb as much as possible about the world you are trying to master. Skills acquisition or the practice mode, where you break down all of the necessary skills in your field and practice them until they become tacit knowledge, and experimentation, or the active mode, in which you take that knowledge and you create your own work so that it can be judged by the public and by yourself. You are trying to fill the gaps in your own knowledge so you can become better than you are now. And then the eight strategies for the ideal apprenticeship are value learning over money, keep expanding your horizons, revert to a feeling of inferiority, trust the process, move towards resistance and pain, apprentice yourself in failure, combine the how and the what, and advance through trial and error. Thank you once again for being a listener of the Art of Composing podcast. I wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout out to Charlie McCarran from the Composer Quest podcast. He takes the time to interview all sorts of composers and other music creators, and it's always a very entertaining show to listen to. We plan on doing some joint interviews slash composer roundtables in the future, so stay tuned for those. As usual, you can find the show notes for this podcast at artofcomposing.com slash episode five, no spaces or dashes. If you want to start on the path towards becoming a composer and you don't know exactly what to do, head on over to artofcomposing.com slash 101 
and check out my introduction to composing page. And then be sure to sign up for the free beginner's composing course. It's a video course, and who doesn't love video courses? But there are also exercises and worksheets. In the course, I will take you from co composing the first note in your piece, probably the note C if I'm not mistaken, to the last note in your entire piece, which is also probably the note C, because we composers are creatures of habits and C is the easiest key. So go check it out, artofcomposing.com 101. And until the next time, volunteer for everything.